105.9 The Fan Bananas, Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs continue to score, and Austin Matthews now on pace for just slightly fewer than 70 goals this season. 69.9. Like mm. Rounding up. Yeah. So, like, depending on your viewpoint, 70 or slightly less than if 70. It was, if it was anything else in the world... For me, slightly less than 70. But when it's Austin Matthews, Toronto Maple Leafs related, we will see the, the positive side of the ledger. All right. Do you see the positive side of the lever, uh, ledger with the standings, which are difficult to read, right? Mm-hmm. The NHL needs to figure this out. And I don't know if this is just a one-off year where there's such a discrepancy in the number of games played where the Senators have played 32, mm-hmm. the Lightning have played 38, Maple Leafs have played 34. So they're tied on points with the Lightning for third in the Atlantic with mm-hmm. 41 points, but the Leafs have played four fewer games. And, yeah, I don't know. Are they going to win all four of those games in hand? Maybe not. But if they do, that's like an eight-point swing. Yep. So it's, yeah, they, they have the tiebreaker, which is games played. Mm-hmm. So they're still in third in the Atlantic. They're five points back of the Panthers, who have also played two more games than the Leafs. So, okay, what do we do with that? That's four points. Uh, which would put, if the Leafs won both of those games, they'd yeah. be one point. Okay. So it's, it's very weird. Yes. The standings right now. But here's what I think we've been pretty consistent in using in our gauging of where the mm-hmm. Leafs stand in an overall sense is points percentage. We do like that one. And it was not long ago they were fifth. Mm-hmm. The the recent run that has them 1-4-1 one, and one in their past six has dropped them to 10th in the National Hockey League mm. in points percentage. Um. Are you at all concerned about yeah this this team needing a strong second half to secure its spot in a playoff spot? Like, is this going to be a growing concern? Like, does this team have to worry about missing the playoffs? The answer to that has nothing to do with the guy behind the bench or, quite frankly, the 18 skaters that, that are playing on any given night. It's all goalie. If you believe in Martin Jones' ability to tread water and tell Joe Wall comes back or if you believe in Dennis Hildeby's ability to find a little rookie magic or whatever you want to call it then there is no world where this team should for a second worry about missing the playoffs but everyone in the world well not the world but everyone in the NHL could have Barton Jones for nothing at the beginning of the year and they said no thanks so the idea of counting on that guy to for right now carry the mail for this team that's the only reason why there's any cause for concern i still think this leafs team is going to be more than comfortably in a playoff spot when it's all said and done i don't even think they're going to have that much time where they're flirting going forward with not being a playoff team but i can't sit here and tell you of course the tandem of martin jones and maybe dennis hildeby or the ghost of Ilya samsonov will be able to backstop this team that's the only question mark but even that i don't think is enough to kneecap this team not in terms of cup hopes or deep run hopes but in terms of making the playoffs i i still have faith in this group okay so you believe then that all the problems that have shown up over the last week and a half have been goaltending the Again, majority one, one four and one yep. over the last six 842 save percentage, mm-hmm. and, and that's not all Ilya Samsonov. That's nope. an 842 save percentage, which is actually only second worst in the NHL over that span. The Sabres somehow have a worse save percentage because I guess that would take them through. Uh, I don't know if that actually does include the, the Columbus game yeah. where they also gave up. Oh, man, what, like a, what a run of games for the Sabres. Give up nine goals, right. score nine goals in back-to-back games. Anyways, um, but here's where they they land in, in some pretty – significant five-on-five statistical categories as well in an overall sense. This is not during the span. Mm-hmm. This is 
for the season now, Brent. Okay. Again, 10th in points yeah. percentage. Five on five Corsi, four percentage. And this, I'm just giving people the raw numbers. So don't yell at me like the nerd stats and watch the games, nerd. I do want to yell. Watch I do the that game too. I'm just yeah. telling you. Here's here's the things <laughs> that would back up the argument that it's not entirely goaltending. Although I would agree with you. Yes. In using the eye test again, mm-hmm. like Carolina is a team that has struggled all season long with yeah. goaltending. That's a good Carolina team. Mm-hmm. They were right there with them. They played a great road game against a Columbus team that stinks this year. Yeah. But like that's exactly how. You, they look dominant. Side note, of course, Michael Bunting was going to score. Yeah, that was obvious. obvious. It's the first goal of the game, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, 15th in 5-on-5 five five Corsi 4 percentage this season. 19th in expected goals 4 percentage 5-on-5 mm. five five this season. 13th in just like, this is 5-on-5 five five goals yep. 4 per 60. So 13th, like middle of the pack in scoring goals 5-on-5 mm-hmm. five five per 60 minutes. 21st in goals against... For 60. Now that would tie into the goaltending mm-hmm. part of it. 20th in five on five save percentage. So, like, some of that does include the goaltending, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm talking about goals yep. against, when I'm talking about save percentage, five on five, that's obvious. Like, save percentage is goaltending. But yeah, also, like, the goal scoring mm-hmm. from five on five has not been something that's put them in the upper echelon of teams in the NHL. And none of that gives you any pause that this team is actually going to be battling tooth and nail for a playoff position. I don't say no pause. I think you hear those stats and there's definitely some things you highlight there, but because that is not a recent sample size, that is a season long one. We've seen, I don't know, kind of three iterations of this Leafs team this year. We saw the Nylander team at the beginning of the year where they're kind of riding Matthews hat tricks and Nylander being special every night to a middling start. They kind of found their mojo in Sweden got knocked down a bit coming out of it, and then they they had their run. We talk about Matthews being a streaky player. The Leafs have shown this year. I don't think this has always been the case in years past because I see I feel like the Leafs are a big swoon team who eventually finds their level in years past. But this year, they've proved to be a super streaky team, and I think so much of it is just tied into what we've seen in years past. It's It's not quite been those Michael Hutchinson starts from years ago where they just look back and go, nah, it's over. What's even the point of playing? I mean, there's been a bit of that Buffalo going on. Was that. Buffalo was yes, 100%, that. 100%. Like that. And you know what plays into that? Like, Leafs played horribly, right, mm-hmm. in the Buffalo game. Yep. But how the hell are you supposed to continue? Like, I get, we're, you're a professional, right? Yes. Like, you're, you're supposed mm-hmm. to just keep chugging along, overcoming what's happening behind you. But, God, they're, they're human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I know. Can't, no, that's... Yeah, that's not a game that you you. Yeah, I, I guess you have to blame them for the yes. the run of play, but that is an entirely that is a game that comes down to one thing and one thing only. Yeah, and it's Ilya Samsonov allowing slap shots from the blue line to mm-hmm. get behind him and and kneecap them in the hockey game. So if if I can look at this a slightly different way, looking at the points percentage here, uh huh. Do you have something else, or can I can I? No, I was going to talk about the California road trip. Okay, Go ahead. so perfect. So. Looking at the points percentage, here's all the teams that are above the Leafs in this. And the one other stat I want to tie to this as well is goal differential. It's not lost on me that when the Leafs were higher up there in points percentage, they were at a plus 16 goal differential. Now they're down to just plus six. So Mm -hmm. I think that is, as much as we look at points percentage and that is indicative of where teams are at this particular moment, I think goal differential is still the one I keep coming back to. You know, when it's a big outlier early in the season, I think it's a little less telling, but I think now we're at a point where that is the one I I think I look at maybe more so than any other. Here's all the teams who are above the Leafs in points percentage. 
the New York Rangers. We've seen them take it to the Leafs. We've seen the Leafs take it to them this year. I think you'd look at them and go, yep, Leafs can hang with that team, whether you think one's better than the other, fair. Boston, we've had that conversation a million times. Leafs, I think a lot of people think better than Boston this year. Now, record hasn't proven it that way. If you want to argue one way or another, fine, but those teams are in the same weight class. Winnipeg Jets, it's been a weird year for them. Connors hurt, Bucks back. They're rebounding in this way, but I don't think anybody looks at the Jets as world beaters that the Leafs could not be seen on the same ground as. Dallas Stars. Okay, that's a really good, solid hockey team, kind of the anti-Leafs in many ways, but again... Yeah, they played them... Yes. That was one of their best 60-minute hockey games all season long. They always play well against the Stars. Kings, we will see tonight, but we've seen... We saw them at... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Toronto, they look like... A killing machine. Yes, and they're a very good team, and we'll and see tonight. Philip Deneau is just he's going to limit Austin Matthews to no shots. Yeah, well, well, we'll see about that. I don't know. We, we, uh, I'm not taking anything away from the Kings, but I don't think people I, – I personally don't look at the Kings as a team that the Leafs can't hang with. Sure. Feel free to get thrown they in my face tonight. They didn't when they were here. That's right. They didn't. One game does not make up – Canucks, we've seen this before. Avalanche, okay, that is a head and shoulders above. Knights, I think I feel a similar way. Panthers, those are all the teams that are above the Leafs in points percentage. You can maybe make an argument to the point about the Kings or whoever else you feel like in there that there are a couple of teams that the Leafs have no business or are not on the same level as. But for the most part, that's the neighborhood the Leafs are in, in the NHL, in my opinion. All those teams that I just listed, for the most part, there. So I see all of the I see all of the underlying statistics that you mentioned, and obviously I see who's between the pipes on any given night for this team. But I look at that and say, if anything, that just emboldens me to think that this Leafs team is definitely part and parcel with that. Because again, Joe Wall, I don't want to paint him as the savior, but he's also not dead. He's going to come back at some point in time, even before the trade deadline, we think here. So I, that's why I look at it and say, yes, cause for some concern in terms of Stanley Cup, but playoffs, no, I don't have it. No, I'm really with don't. you. I, I'm with you. I, I really am. Because again, I, I, I rattled off the nerd stats, but I watched the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, team has do. been kneecapped by goaltending mm-hmm. pretty clearly over the last couple of weeks. So they go to California for these three games upcoming, starting tonight in L.A. against a very good Kings team uh, in Anaheim tomorrow at 9 o'clock because I'm not – did the Ducks normally play at 9 o'clock or is this like an yeah. acquiescing to the Toronto market? This will shock you. I don't keep tabs on here's, what's going on with the Here's Ducks what's definitely happening on Saturday on no, Hockey they're Night in Canada. The, they're playing the Jets at home at 10, but the Jets are later. I don't know. Who cares? Um, the Sharks are definitely bending the knee because that's a 7 o'clock Eastern game on Hockey Night in Canada in San Jose. So that's the it's a three-game California road trip. So last year, it was, they, they did the same three teams, not in the same order, mm-hmm. but uh, as part of a five-game road trip that was not so great. Like, it didn't go very well, um, but it was against some, some tough teams. It started in Winnipeg, and this was the end of October, starting on October 22nd last year. Winnipeg, they won. 4-1, lost 3-1 to Vegas. Lost in San Jose in overtime. Lost in L.A. to the Kings. Lost in overtime to the Ducks. At which point, at 4-4-2, and you wondered, holy cow, is this the end for Sheldon Keefe? And then, you know, they very much saved the regular season and beyond and won their first postseason round in in a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. So, So, yeah, things did change. It's a different point in the season, and it's not quite a crisis point like, it did feel like earlier on when the Leafs were battling mm-hmm. for their playoff lives, seemingly, despite the fact, again, tied on points with the Tampa Bay Lightning, but with four games in hand. Yep. What's the scenario where, like, we're again having the Sheldon Keefe conversation? Like, what what has to happen here? Because it's not, I don't think it's happening. Uh-huh. I, I, 
I've seen it occasionally tweeted out. I'm, I'm like, I look a, a little bit askance at that because, yeah, Sheldon Keefe has had to deal with some ill-fitting parts at times mm-hmm. and some bad goaltending and has this team, by and large, playing pretty well. Simon Benoit is now playing in like a top yeah. four role. Like, okay, I, 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 I think Sheldon Keefe's done a pretty good job. But we've also seen a number of different examples this very season mm-hmm. where in-season coaching changes have changed the fortunes of some teams. Like, what, what is the scenario where we're having the, the Sheldon Keefe conversation? I don't. Quite frankly, I don't think there is one unless unless Brad Living is completely unwilling to make a goaltending trade and that is what this team needs and that is the way he sees them getting a dead cat bounce. And quite frankly, I think Brad Living is too smart a hockey man to look at it that way. I don't think he changed his opinion on what Sheldon Keefe is a head coach in the six months. And if he did, it would only have gotten better since he handed him a contract extension. I know everyone out there says, it's just the Leafs. They just handed him money. They didn't actually hand him a contract extension because they could fire him at any time. They can afford to pay coaches not to do that. And there is definitely an element of that. But if you want the dead cap bounce from your team, you need that when the team is lifeless, when the team looks shell-shocked like the Oilers looked earlier this year. The Leafs do not look lifeless. They do not look shell-shocked. Their best players are not sleepwalking through the season. And I don't want to be clear. I'm not accusing McDavid of that. We know he was banged up earlier this year. But that's not the issue with this team. There are, to your point, some underlying issues that you would like to see addressed. But that has been problems at parts of the season, not an underlying trend line we've seen all year long. The problem with this Leafs team is goaltending. And listen to the way Sheldon Keefe, or for that matter, any other NHL head coach talks about their goalies. They don't have anything to do with that. Talk to the Sandman about that. Talk to the guy who actually is allowed to talk to the goalies. They don't have any say on that. So the only way, the only way I can see that happening is tree making a swing for a goalie of not Peter Morazic to tread water or something, but your sorrows trade and the team still can't figure it out. Then you're so much in that you would have to find mm. a way to have your dead cap bounce and make your change. But I don't think that would happen. So yeah. I, I'd be I, surprised. I'd be, I'd be beyond surprised. I'd be floored. I, I borderline guarantee you Sheldon Keefe makes it through this season because I just can't see a world where it's his fault. Yeah. Makes it through the season. Oh, that was too far. The borderline guarantee for you? No, I. I listen. Did I? Don't ever guarantee anything. Did in life, I also? No. Did I also look at Rod Brindamore and his team and and the goaltending that they have gotten this season and the way they've cobbled it together yep. and the pending free agent nature of that dude who mm-hmm. seems like a real motivator of men and also a pretty good tactician and the potential of uh, you know, look at <sighs> looking at him and. In a season in which you're looking for a new head coach, anyways, I just I wonder if everybody's kind of keeping their powder dry, understanding the possibility exists for a potential step uh, towards a a more significant franchise than the one Carolina for Rod Brindamore. Okay, this is very unfair because we both just said we don't think he should be or will be fired. But doesn't it have to be a winner? And I know Brindamore is not one as a coach, but mm-hmm. he's one as a player. Mm-hmm. Like, does it not have to be a guy who can? walk in the room and slam some rings on the table. Like does like the idea of they Rent. move on and it's Jay Woodcroft or something. Like, is that happening? No. Uh, uh, imagine you could and this is no offense. Again, I just told you I think Sheldon yeah. Keefe has done a I have made pretty great job this season and <laughs> over the tenure of his entire career. Like look at the numbers. Yeah. It's regular season points percentage. I think he's right there with like Scotty Bowman, right? Yes. Like <laughs> the the number of wins that he's picked up as the head coach of the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs during the regular season is un 
unbelievable. You told me today you do a one for one trade, Sheldon Keith for Rod Brindamore. Mm-hmm. Like, how much am I giving up? Like, do I? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, obviously, that's something I'm interested in. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, that that's something that's hanging as an off season conversation. Okay. All right. Right now, though, I want to have this conversation. Yes. I want to have the the Canadians in the NBA and Major League Baseball conversation because it doesn't yeah, – hockey. They're all Canadians, right? And I, I guess we can have a separate conversation about the Toronto guys playing for the Leafs thing, but I don't know. I, I, I view that so separate. We've had the – here, just like whatever conversation you and your life have had about John Tavares, transport that into this one when we're done having it there. So Major League Baseball, when, when there's a Canadian that plays for the Blue Jays, they mm-hmm. get a little – Maple Leaf, right? Like on the, mm-hmm. the lineup on the scoreboard. Love that. Seen the number. They still do it with Vlad, who of course was born in Montreal. You know what? That's nice of them. Um, but yeah, I, I, for the purposes of this discussion, I don't. I don't really consider Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No, a, a, a Canadian. Um, mention it. R.J. Barrett becoming the eighth Canadian ever to play for the Raptor and uh, Raptors, and by a factor of like a million, the most significant Canadian to ever play for the Toronto Raptors. Blue Jays have done this a couple of different times. You, you may recall the Corey Koski oeuvre. I, ha- I do. Uh, Brett Laurie was oh, a was, big swing. Oh, that was fun. Come on. It was, absolutely, in the early going. Uh, guys at later points in their career but were significant Canadians in Major League Baseball. Adam Lowen was like a top mm-hmm. prospect at one point as yep. a pitcher. Before Officer he beat, Pompey. Uh, Dalton Pompey, sure. Jeff Francis. Uh, Matt Stairs, who's one of the best pinch hitters in, in Major League. They have Jordan Romano currently as one of the best relievers in baseball. Paul Quantrill. Michael Saunders was an all-star for the Blue Jays. Kind of gets forgotten, lost the time a little really bit. really does. Honestly, I think the most significant Canadian contributor to the Blue Jays was Russell Martin and and a guy that yeah. they still had to overpay to go out and get. Mm-hmm. But do the, do the Canadians for, again, separating the yeah, yeah. Leafs from this discussion, for the Blue Jays... And the Raptors, and we barely, we were just scratching the surface mm-hmm. of the Raptors living in this world where they have a Canadian of note playing significant minutes for their team. But we've seen this with the Blue Jays. Russell Martin, like when you think back of the 15, 16 Blue Jays, of course it's the... the Russell, the, Russell, uh, Russell. Sure, it's him throwing it off the, the bat knob of Shinsu Chu in the seventh inning of game five. But yeah, it's those three guys in the middle of the lineup, and it's Russell Martin, and maybe Russell Martin gets too short a shrift. Like, he was the guy that kind of started the sea change of optimism mm-hmm. around the Blue Jays. Does it does it move the needle for you when those two franchises go out and get Canadians? Again, uh, understanding the sample is pretty limited when it comes to the Raptors. I think it's always a nice story when you have your, you know, and this is unfair to this player, but... Chris Boucher type who it's like, yeah, he's in the rotation. Yeah, he's a nice piece, but you know, he's not changing the world for this team. I think it's always a nice story to have a, uh, a somewhat contributor that is Canadian and understands what it means, but it's different when it's an RJ Barrett. And I think actually Russell Martin's kind of a perfect comp for him because in a perfect world, that's what he is. He's never going to be the best player on your team, but he can be kind of your, heart and soul he can be the guy who understands what it means and you know I think that with the Raptors winning the championship they're not the Jays in terms of national interest or what they are but there's a little bit 
more there than there once was. And look, there have always been basketball fans across the country who have loved the Raptors, but that title changed a lot of things and it made more people kind of get locked in and care. And I think that now RJ has a chance to kind of hold that Russell Martin place. I think there is something to it, but I also don't want to overstate it. Like you just want the best players, right? Mm. Like you wouldn't want the the Raptors or the Jays for that matter to overextend themselves just because a guy is Canadian. It's part of the conversations you and I have had about Votto this exact offseason of is it the right fit? Well, does it matter if it's not the perfect fit? What is that extra 5% you get? What's it worth? How much of that? Talk about vibes all the time with the Raptors team. This all plays part and parcel to it. So, yeah, I think there is something to it. I don't think you should bend over backwards to over-accommodate that aspect of team building, but I think... You know, again, we talk about it with the with the Leafs all the time. Sheldon Keefe having an understanding of the moment, saying, "Okay, you know, I'm in Sweden. We're going to start all my Swedes. It's Boria night. I'm going to start all the Swedes." Understanding what it means to a fan base to have something they can touch, they can feel. So it's not the whole world, but it's far from nothing. It should be either. a tiebreaker. It's a good tiebreaker. Mm, I like that. It's uh, you're frankly, you're a bad organization if it's something that is near the top of your list of priorities when you're going out and acquiring players, whether it be in free agency or via trade, you're like, well, I got to go out and get Corey Kosky right. because he's Canadian. You do that because you're like, we got nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, may- maybe the fans will will appreciate this effort. No, you know what they appreciate more is like winning. And okay, does anyone look fondly on the Corey Kosky area, no. era because, you know, he was Canadian? Nah, like... If you win, mm-hmm. takes care of everything. Now, is it a bonus if you can do both? Yeah. Like, to the point about Russell Martin, mm-hmm. that's a great story. And not that Russell Martin took less to be here, right? They had to overpay him. Yep. Uh, despite the fact that he was Canadian. RJ Barrett, are you going out and, and targeting him specifically because he's Canadian? No. Is he even the headline item? If you were to ask Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri, it's like, no. why did you consummate this trade? I think primarily to go acquire Emmanuel quickly, a young player who is not being optimized in Mm -hmm. his role in New York and a restricted free agent. Now, R.J. Barrett, you know, there's a school of thought that he's slightly overpaid and that, you know, the the contract actually might be neutral value, if not negative value, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't improve going forward. But yeah, is it it like a nice like little tiebreaker? If all things are equal... Is it better to have the Canadian than not? Yes. But I think if you make that your priority, you're an idiot. No, you can't make it your priority. And I know we said the Leafs are a different animal with this, but there are some things that that there are kind of parallels. Like Max Domi would have fitted on this team if his name was Max Smith. The way he plays the game, what he's been as a third-line center, he would have fit on this team. But the fact that that's Ty's kid... And he understands what it means. He was running around those dressing rooms as a kid. Like, I think to your point about the Leafs, everybody's Canadian. What is it, like 60% of the league or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It doesn't mean the same thing. But somebody who really understands it, who really can touch it, who really can feel it. We talk about it with Tavares. We talk about it with Marner. Sometimes it's a double-edged sword in that regard. And Domi is certainly another guy in that, that, that realm. So I think with the Leafs, it's so much more specific that it can't be a Canadian or, quite honestly, even a GTA guy because we've seen that story a billion times. But when it's somebody who it clearly means so much to, I, how can you not as a fan? All we ever want is these guys to care, mm-hmm. right? And not to say that R.J. Barrett is necessarily going to care more as a Raptor mm-hmm than he would as a Nick, but I don't know when he's looking up and his dad's in the crowd and, you know, he's got Lord knows how many friends and family and he looks and, oh, look, there's Tristan Thompson, another Canadian in here. Like, how how can that not just make you more comfortable? Yeah, the, the Raptors have never had the advantage when it comes to 
not just acquiring players in free agency, but being a a a, a destination that players are happy to to be headed towards. This franchise has been around for long enough and has now won a championship that there are there are players, and R.J. Barrett is one of them, that grew yep. up watching this team and are ecstatic to be part of it, despite the fact they're leaving the Mecca in New York City. I just have to laugh because it is a very different, him talking about going to games with his dad, being like, oh, I remember, and go meet NBA players. And then I remember Ken Birch being here going, oh, sitting up in the Sprite Zone booing these guys because all those teams <laughs> stunk that I was watching. So very different uh, experiences as young Raptors fans. Where but. was Rowan yesterday? I didn't see him. I saw, I, I did catch a glimpse of him. He was wearing like a, I think he was wearing like a brown sweater. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's how I remember. That's how I know okay. he was there. But yeah, I saw him in the, uh, in the building. I awesome. That. awesome for him. Like again, like it can't be, it, he's, he's RJ Barrett. He's Rowan Barrett's son. Steve Nash is his godfather. Like yeah. if anybody should be the one who comes home, here it is. Yeah. And he gets to do it with somewhat limited pressure. Perfect scenario for him. Well, let's talk to one of the chroniclers let's. of Canadian basketball. Michael Grange joins us next. As the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 5.9, the fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. So an interesting time for the Raptors to be changing the face of their franchise. Well, one, it's a new year. Mm-hmm. New year, new, new you. New year, new me. Yeah. That's what Masai well, said. Yeah. So after one game, definitely. They, they've won a basketball game to improve to 13-20 and 20 against the Cavaliers. Uh, they also now head out on the road for six consecutive <laughs> So tomorrow it starts against a Grizzlies team with a pretty crappy record, but without John Morant for the majority mm-hmm. of the season. Uh, in Sacramento Friday, Sunday in uh, San Francisco against the Warriors. You go to L.A. to play the Lakers, then you got a back-to-back <laughs> against the Clippers, and then it's not over yet. Friday, next Friday, yeah. they're in Utah against the Jazz to wrap up that road trip. Which I Do mean, you know you can, what happens when they come home, though? Yeah, well, I mean, that's no, big, no biggie. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, rematch looming against, uh, or the the first game against OG Ananobi looming on January 20th. This is a brutal, brutal part of the schedule for the Raptors. You can look at it two ways. It's like, you know, mm. trial by fire. Okay. Yeah. And also, I think you talk to most professional athletes and, and you know, when, when they're joining a new organization in a new spot, I think it is beneficial most of them will tell you that yeah road trips are actually great mm-hmm. like for a, a bonding experience i think we heard this from the the new look leafs at the beginning of the season yep. like first road trip because ryan reeves of course was going to be party master like he was going to set them up with all all their uh post-game media or a, a post-game um uh restaurant reservations mm-hmm. and everything so yeah there's the possibility of everybody coming together and and the vibes continuing to improve after game one but that's a tough slate man like if you can go three and three that's an not just an acceptable record that's an unbelievable record considering some of the places the raptors are headed yeah and not that you're not going to ask these new guys to defend but uh, boy wouldn't you like og and nobi for i don't know all those games you just look at every one of those teams as a player you would love to throw og on for the night and hey look like that's the decision you've made as an organization i think it also speaks to 
and, and you know, I understand you're going to make a trade when it's ready, but I do think a certain amount of it speaks to Masai's confidence. And, you know, we should throw Bobby Webster in that as well. He is the team's general manager after all. But if you were afraid of the backlash or the, the way this trade is perceived, wouldn't you wait? four or five games, even make it later on in the trip. Like, you know, we understand teams have negotiations happen. You could slow play a deal. You could push for something to happen faster. I think it does kind of speak to Masai's confidence of saying, yeah, there's something to it's better to be on the road, but there's also something to, I don't care if this team goes one in five in Mm. the first six games you see of the new look wraps. doesn't matter to me. I wonder about that because this is a trade season it's on now in earnest, right? The Raptors, sure. it's, it's a that, massive deal. That, that's no joke. That that trade is uh, no joke. It's not necessarily trade season. Though. Like we, we're not, this is, we're quite a ways out from the NBA's trade deadline and a potential decision upcoming with the pending free agent, best player on this team. No offense to Scotty Barnes, but right now, like Pascal Siakam, especially yesterday, yep. playing like the best player um, and especially if, yeah, the three-point shooting can trend in the correct direction after, you know, an awful, awful start. But over the last, you know, half dozen or, or so games, he's actually hit the three at a pretty consistent rate, hit five of them yesterday. You're going to get a run of games with the new players and Pascal Siakam that perhaps impacts your decision-making as far as trading him at the deadline. And whether you accept perhaps a limited package for Pascal Siakam or whether you decide, hey, one, we're going to re-sign you and then revisit this conversation at next year's trade deadline. I mean, there's, there's a, 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 I don't think a small percentage of why this trade was consummated at the time it mm-hmm. was was to get a sample of Pascal Siakam with R.J. Barrett, with Emmanuel Quickly, to see what that looks like. Not to say that there is an expectation that it can look championship level, but it's it'd be intriguing to see if they look more than capable with this core. Yeah, it's something about the way those two fit. It's also the way that Scotty and Pascal fit together with different pieces around them. You know, I don't want to overstate what happened. We've talked about R.J. Barrett as a shooter. He is far, far from knockdown quickly, obviously a slightly different uh, character in that regard. But I think there's some element of, it's not so much about how Siakam fits for me with the new pieces. It's about how the new pieces allow Barnes and Siakam to fit together because that's the whole conversation you're having here. Yes, there's something about asset management. Can you re-sign him, potentially have an ability to, you know, exert a better trade at a different time? Okay, sure, that's all well and good. But if you're re-signing Pascal Siakam, it's because you think he can fit alongside Scotty Barnes as your be it 1A. I mean, I, I've been on record. If it's 1A, this team is not going to do anything they're super proud of. But but if he's the second banana and Scotty Barnes is able to grow into that role and all of a sudden you have Quickly, who is a real kind of third guy that can give you a different look than what OG was giving you. I think there's something there. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I think it's about how do the new pieces allow the two most important pieces to fit together? I mean, what if it fits like a glove? Like what if all of a sudden, and again, it would have to look better than yesterday. Yesterday was good. Like to get off on the right foot. And I do think first impressions are big. And, and I don't think it was, uh, it was, insignificant that R.J. Barrett hit some big free throws mm-hmm. at the end of that basketball game because he had some turnovers in that fourth quarter, yep. too, that you were like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's 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 why he hasn't quite lived up to the potential of being the third overall selection um, in 2019. Um, but what if, you know, we're looking back at this, this trade as a real hinge point in 
not just the appearance and the vibes, but, like, yep. actual wins and losses. Mm -hmm. Like, what if the Raptors run off a stretch again? Like, what if, God forbid, Darko Royakovich gets his three-game winning streak and has to take this team out to dinner? Like, what? and what if it extends beyond three games? Like, what if, what if you really do see wins get stacked up on mm -hmm. top of each other? And I don't know, can you convince yourself that this is, again, I, I don't think there's a scenario where it looks like, oh, my God, it was one player substituting OG yep. Ananobi, a good player for two, and all of a sudden the pieces fit, and we're, I mean, it feels like this is the core of a championship team, but that was never going to be the case. Like, the most optimistic scenario was you get back to that 50-win Raptors-type team, and then it's one superstar player away, and that that's the, mm -hmm. the, the dream you could sell yourself on. What if it looks like that over the next month? Could it? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think that is, if that happens, and yeah, I understand Messiah and Bobby would say, uh, duh, that's why we made the trade. If that happens, it's because of what quickly is. You read all the people, uh, again, just all the, I mean, you watch it with your eyes, what you saw yesterday, but you talk to anybody, you hear anybody out of New York, all they are saying is they expect this guy to have the Tyrese Maxey-like you know, progression, jump, whatever you want to call it. If that happens, it immediately changes the ceiling for this team because God love OG Ananobi, and I loved him. One, his dry sense of humor, we talked about it. Not fake athlete funny, actually real funny. God, I mean, we did too too much of the the him and Serge Ibaka with the scarves thing, mm, but it showed know. up in my timeline again yesterday. Oh, God, it was so funny. It's, yeah. It, 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 if you but haven't seen scars? it, but what about scars? If you haven't seen it, no, but what about scars? In four year, years, it's probably time for you to revisit yeah, it. You it's legitimately funny. Somebody said it's the greatest piece of athlete creative media ever, and I might, I might agree with that. But the thing about OG, no matter how you felt about him, no matter how you feel about him as a defender, and hey, just because he's not a Raptor doesn't mean I've changed my tune on him. Everything I've been saying is still true. There was a ceiling on what he could become as a player and there obviously is on everybody, but I think the ceiling is much more uncertain on a guy like quickly. And even to a lesser extent, a guy like Barrett where you can see a world where those guys take leaps and progress. And all of a sudden they didn't just turn one player into two. They maybe turned one player into, if not better, a definitely different player and a guy who is a starter, if not a rotation piece for you. So I think that's the world where this happens. It's so much about the leap that quickly takes and what it opens up for, for Siakam and Barnes. And it's not out of the realm possible. I'm not holding my breath on it either. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's pretty likely that when they're done this trip, they go two and four with some hard fought losses where we talk about how respectable they are. That's what I think ultimately happens on this trip, but it's not out of the realm possibility. It goes the other way either. All right. What about the perception of this front office? Mm. Which I mean, yeah, this Masai is Ujiri's contractual status is, is a little bit murky, but it feels like he has a contract for life. Like Masai Ujiri feels like he's unfireable. Like he mm -hmm. is as ingrained with the Raptors as the mascot is like it's, it's the Raptor and it's Masai Ujiri. Right. And, and, and Bobby Webster and those guys were were obviously pretty crucial in bringing the first ever championship mm -hmm. to this organization. It's been a rough run, though, man. Yeah, transactionally, draft and development wise, it's it's not been great. Mm -hmm. They just sent a guy out the door and Malachi Flynn. Who I, I get it, it was the tail end of the first round. Look at some of the players selected around him that the Raptors could have had. Well, they just turned a guy who was taken at the tail end of the first round into quickly an RJ Barrett, no right. and Anobi, right? Yeah, and that, those were the and <laughs> another guy was was hitting five threes yesterday in Pascal Siakam. So yeah, like that was the good old days of them. Everything uh, they they touched turned to gold. But like it's been a pretty fallow period for them over the last couple of years. I, I, 
again, we haven't seen the way it plays mm-hmm. out. And it, even if, you know, the way it plays out over the next month before the trade deadline is not ultimately how it's going to play out long term. Because yep. these are young pieces that are, I mean, quickly is going to be re-signed as a restricted free agent mm-hmm. this offseason. And, and R.J. Barrett's under contract for years beyond this. But how does this move, this one on its own, impact the perception of this Raptors front office that has gone through, as mentioned, a pretty rough period of time when it comes to wins and losses, scoreboard when it comes to trades and drafting and developing. They needed a win so bad. And, like, we should not get ahead of ourselves. I think we're all we're all talking ourselves into a manual quickly guy who we talk about, oh, he's a snub for a third team all or something like that. Settle down, settle down on that. But I think there is a there is such a need, such an impetus for a win for this group, because I think as frustrated as everyone's been with vision six, nine and the plan since the title and the run it back year and everything, I don't think people think that Masai Ujiri forgot how to be a good, or sorry, president as about to call him the GM. Sorry, Bobby. I think that people think he's gotten too stubborn. And I think that the idea of moving off of OG Ananobi either, you know, proves those people wrong or shows a bit of a turning of of opinion on Masai Ujiri in terms of his ability to hold on and always get the last laugh with every trade. Not to say he made this trade under derision, but I think he finally understood that, okay, we need to do something here. We mm-hmm. cannot just continue to kick this can down the road for another year, for another deadline, and have another conference press conference where we say, well, and it was, oh, I have my chances to do this and later. It, this was the less obvious move than the Pascal Siakam. Way less obvious. Because right? I think a lot of people reading the tea leaves are going, oh, there don't seem to be rushing to trade OG. That must mean there is some confidence that they could potentially re-sign the player. That was at least my read on it. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is a team that's that's needed shooting, needed spacing, and also and OG provides that. And yep. one of the uh, one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And also from an age perspective, it just fit the timeline totally. more than. Pascal Siakam potentially did, but this is the cost of doing business, obviously, right? Uh, it is interesting. He mentioned the Knicks of it all, and yeah, boy, James Dolan, well, one, allowing his general manager to do business with Masai Ujiri, yeah. and How two, did this the, not occur to me until you're mentioning the it? pending litigation that still exists between these two teams. I mean. If you ask me to predict <laughs> the teams as, with which the Raptors would do business when it came to either or both of OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, I'm, I'm thinking the Knicks are dead last on – they might have been 30th. If yeah. you went down the entire – not to say that there weren't obvious pieces mm-hmm. and both teams filling a need and in early days, one game for each team, it does feel like both teams – Yep got exactly what they wanted, and it does feel like one of the rare win-win trades mm-hmm. you get in professional sports. But my God, the one, like the the Masai Ujiri, Carmelo Anthony, right. Knicks of it all, right. and two, these two teams are still literally meeting in courtrooms to adjudicate some potential thievery of intellectual property <laughs> months ago, and they've swung the biggest trade of the season outside of James Harden this season. Yeah, honestly, I I don't know how that it just proves to show that there was so much we had to like sift through ready, getting yeah. ready for today's show. But yeah, I honestly hadn't considered that. I guess it proves that 
if you need to do business, you do business, right? I mean, you, you see it all the time in corporate worlds where people don't like each other that it's like, hey, this is going to be mutually beneficial for us. Let's grit our teeth and, and get through it. You and I do that for three hours every every single morning where we go, all right, neither of us like this, but we'll get through it. I'm joking. <laughs> I love you, Ben. Ha <laughs> ha, funny guy. The th- So that's the way I look at it is it's just it is proof of how – I don't want to say desperately needed it was, but it makes me certainly feel like the Knicks have an understanding that OG will resign there, that they wanted to get ahead of this market. And yeah, it just proves how much they clearly covet the player that they're willing to do business with the Raptors to get them. Honestly, if I'm a Knicks fan and I've, I've had to live through the James Dolan Mm -hmm. era, this is about as encouraging a sign as I can get. Now again, like it could, it could prove pettiness prevail. This is good. I like this. You don't think that James Dolan was presented with this and his initial reaction, (laughs) knowing everything we do about James Dolan was one, like how the hell are we dealing with Masai Ujiri yet again, despite the fact that, yeah, like the Kyle Lowry trade that wouldn't, was actually the the one that he overrode, that he decided, hell no, not dealing with that guy turned into a Raptors championship in 2019. So maybe, and you know what? Maybe that informs the decision-making by Dolan. It's like, I once let my petty grievances with Masai Ujiri get between us Mm -hmm. and a trade between us and the Toronto Raptors that could have, one, benefited us with an eventual all-star player in Kyle Lowry, and two, uh, did a disservice to a conference rival and kept them from winning a championship eventually in 2019, sliding doors. I get all that. But yeah, if I'm a Knicks fan... I, I'm kind of, it's a head exploding situation here where mm-hmm. your petty owner did not let his pettiness get in the way of a good basketball trade between his organization and the one that he loathes the most mm-hmm. and the human being in his orbit that yeah. he probably loathes the most in Masai Ujiri. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Although, I don't know, Dolan's got his his hands in a lot of different places and just in terms of his businesses and everything. I imagine there's a lot of competition for the person James Dolan hates most in the world. And, That's true. And as a guy who loves to hate, I can say it's tough to pick the thing you hate the most sometimes. Yeah. So I think there's some element of that there. I'm also not... Uh, ruling out the possibility of uh, of GM Scott Perry just telling him that OG Ananobi played for another team. Going, oh, OG, oh, where's he play? Yeah. Uh, Memphis, we made that trade. Okay, sure. Or they just locked him in the sphere and and told him there was, he was going to have some VR experience or something while they made this trade. Like, Dolan seems like, of course, a guy who knows what's going on, wants to, you know, has his grudges, but he also feels like somebody you could distract pretty easily. Like, mm. hey, JD in the straight suit, you want to go play in the mm. sphere? Or, I don't know, what about any of the hundred other businesses you own? Look over here. Certainly there's a board meeting. I, You know, we've watched Succession. We understand. You got to put the shiny object over here sometimes. I do. I, that That's my theory on it all, that they just kept him so busy with other Dolan Enterprises, whatever that is. That, uh, that they were able to sneak this one by. And that's my theory on it. Yeah, early going, though, it does look like a win-win for both teams. For OG sure. Ananobi, a big contributor uh, for the Knicks in a, in a win uh, over the top team in the Western Conference yesterday, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then, yeah, the Raptors with a big win against a shorthanded Cavs team, but a shorthanded Cavs team that's been playing pretty well, even without their missing pieces and still with one of the best uh, pure scorers in the NBA in Donovan Mitchell. We'll see how it works out, but right now it does feel like the take everybody had when this trade was consummated, mm-hmm. where you're like, well, it's hard to decide on a winner. Like, it looks like both teams like acquired mm-hmm. players that 
address specific needs for them. And it kind of feels like a win-win, like one day in, it does feel exactly like that. It really does. And just, you mentioned Mitchell there. It's just funny to kind of look back in the rear view on some of these trades, right? Because when Mitchell, when the Cavs landed Mitchell and, you know, I'm not going to crush them for the deal right now. It's obviously kept them relevant and kept them somewhat afloat in the East here, but there are people looking at that going, Oh, this guy is going to start running away with the East all of a sudden. And, you know, maybe these are, and it kind of goes back to the Blue Jays point you made earlier in the, in the show today, the idea of this is the more pragmatic move. It is not as sexy a swing. Like when the Cavs went all in for their Donovan Mitchell move that again, has worked out to a certain extent for them, but not anywhere near the way people thought. So something to keep in mind. All right. Uh, time now for the wake and rake presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book, bet local. We got the Leafs back in action starting this three-game California road trip, 10.30 tonight on Sportsnet Ontario in L.A. against a pretty good Kings team. And that means, because the Leafs are on the road, against a good team, they're actual underdogs. Uh, With Martin Jones, I assume, (laughs) starting in the first half of this back-to-back, I mean, you could really be showing me something by starting Dennis Hill to be in this Quite thing. A move. Um, but the Leafs are plus 115 underdogs. The Kings minus 135. The total, as is uh, usual in the NHL, six and a half, Brent. I got to go over. It's the thing I'm most confident in here. Kings, they're a pretty stout group. Mm, they can they lock are. it down. That's the problem. I know, but the Leafs, even against stout teams, they have their little flashes of offense and God love Martin Jones or maybe Dennis Hildeby, although almost certainly Martin Jones. Uh, He's kind of good for four a night. You know, that's kind of been what's been happening for him. I think the Leafs can can get three against this Kings team. That's the way my math is working on this one. It's the thing I'm most confident in. I'm always tempted Leafs on the money line, but not with the goaltending they've been getting lately. So give me the over at six and a half. You got to pay minus 120 for that. No, I do like the Leafs on the money line. Okay. There. Like as an under money line underdog. Never happens. It, I think it's like it the never fourth happened. time this year. And obviously you can't make them the favorites on the road against a good Kings team, considering the run of play that they've had. But no, whenever you think, they're out. They pull you back in. Mm-hmm. Now, it does. It's on my radar. Obviously, this is always a difficult trip, no matter how well yep. or how poorly those California teams are playing. But yeah, I like anytime I get the Leafs uh, on a plus number, I will take them. And uh, Canada uh, opening up the knockout round of the World Junior <laughs> Hockey Championships against Chechia. Um, yeah, you're looking at the money line yeah, and you're yeah, laughing. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. They My- haven't uh, been overly impressive and got outplayed by, by Sweden during the knockout round and eventually ended up with a win against Germany. But whatever, they are Canada and it is Chechia. Uh, Canada is minus 588. <laughs> Chechia plus 360, Brent. Are you, are you going to be uh, a traitor? And and go against Canada? No, Total six and a half. No, I'm good. I'm betting against Canada. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> give me the over six and a half plus 105 there. Uh, Czechia, they've played some tighter games. They've also got beaten by Slovakia. Uh, Canada, not an offensive juggernaut. But guess what? They can look like it against any of the second tier teams with Czechia is in this tournament. So give me the over six and a half. I love goals today in hockey. Let's have some fun. Yeah, I like Canada minus two and a half goals at mm. minus 110. So almost even odds on that. Give me Canada because I ain't no traitor. Patriot. All right. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. As the fan morning show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan.